This is the Verissimus Real Estate Show for all things investing, agents, sales, marketing, lead generation. We'll give you all the tools you need to explode your business. We feature industry leaders in investing, agents, broker owners with large teams, attorneys, title companies, all of the above to give you the tools to explode your business. I'm your host, Dom Marshall at Connect with Dom across all social platforms. So find me on Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all of the above. Like, comment and subscribe. Again, I'm Dom Marshall. Like, comment and subscribe. And without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, so today we have Nick Guzzi on and roles are going to be reversed. So Nick's actually going to be interviewing me, my background in real estate and what I'm focusing on now. We actually have me and Nick, uh, we have a couple of businesses that we're running together. Nick's background is he's a solutions architect for Amazon AWS, among many other things. And we'll delve a little bit into our businesses and what we've got going on, but primary focus is you'll be digging into my background the good the bad and the ugly so do you know what Nick you introduce yourself and then let's get into it sure yeah yeah the ugly um the ugly is always the fun part yeah but yeah just touching on that um been with AWS for almost a year coming up on the year actually in just a couple of weeks as a solutions architect there previous to that I worked at other um firms as cloud consultants um in the Amazon web services space so got some got some experience there and, and do some Python software development too on top of it. They all kind of just play together. Um, prior to that, was in financial services and, and did some accounting stuff. So I've worn many hats, which is true, right? Across any anybody building businesses or, or going out there and trying to build something, right? You wear a lot of hats. So we've got this, we've both seen and done a lot of different things <laughs> trying to make something successful. So <laughs> Today, we are going to uh, put the, the shoe on the other foot or turn the tables on it. So I get to ask you some questions and see see where your biggest pitfalls have been or what's excited you or what's what's been fun. So uh, if you're ready to get into it, we'll get yeah. into it. I don't know where Nick's going with this. It's unscripted. So <laughs> we'll see what we dive into. Well, you know, it's 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 later in the afternoon. It's happy hour. So we'll see what we'll see what this drink gets me into as well. Cheers to that. What do you got? A little Kona? Little Kona, little Kona, what do you got in that glass? A little tequila lemonade. Little tequila lemonade. So that's a little bit stiffer than what I got going. But I need I need to get through the smog <laughs> in New York. We got the Canada fires that's going right. on coming yeah. down. So yeah. It's even reaching all the way down to Florida where I'm at. It's supposedly supposed to be hitting like the Jacksonville area and stuff too. So it's all yeah. all down the East Coast. It's crazy. Um, okay, real estate. Let's talk about it a little bit. So when when did you get into when did you start getting into real estate actually like full time not just dabbling in it so that's a tricky question because you know it takes a lot of years and a lot of lead up to take the leap in the investing side i feel like a lot of people when they get started they become an agent they start maybe working with investors or talking to their broker or team lead that are investors and then you kind of take the leap from there and get into investing. Flip side of that is wholesaling. A lot of people see all the clickbaity stuff online about wholesaling. You can make big checks quick. Right. Not necessarily true, 
they're selling you a car or something like that. Wholesaling. Oh, that's hot button. That's hot button. Everybody loves wholesaling. <laughs> Come on, isn't that the hot thing? Wholesaling is very, very clickbaity. So it's it's not an easy business to get into. It's it's actually very difficult. And I'll touch on this a little bit, but for wholesaling, I would recommend before you go out and start marketing to find deals, you should actually have your buyers lined up first and find deals for your buyers. Because you'll find that you're spinning your wheels, spending a lot in marketing or doing a lot of effort to get deals that not aren't necessarily deals. You've locked them up too high and now you can't get them sold or moved versus sure, sure. flip the script, go to your buyer. What do you look for? What's your buying criteria? What's your buy box? What markets and zip codes are you buying in? And then you can run through the numbers there. Now I know if I find a deal like this, I kind of need to lock it up here for them to buy it. So I'd flip the script on wholesaling. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say that's interesting because, you know, when any, any like tried and true realtor that I've worked with or realtors that I know or in my sphere and network, right. It's all about the listing. Like, how do we, how do I get the property? How do I find the property? So that's just an interesting take on from like, if you are going to do wholesaling, you're not saying that it can't be done, but there's, there's a right way. There's a wrong way. There's, you know, a good way to do it. Um, and that's just an interesting take where, Hey, go find some buyers before you spend all this money in marketing on um, actually finding these properties and trying to get these properties on a contract and then flipping them. <clears throat> so let's dovetail off of that from wholesaling to what you kind of do. Let's just get into that a little bit and where you sit between being a realtor, not being a realtor, being a wholesaler, not being a wholesaler and being an investor in real estate. Yeah. So I'll circle back to your original question is kind of, you know, what, what got me started? When did I start? And, and what did that take? It took at least two years of educating myself, listening to podcasts like this, researching people that are in the business, doing the business, not just selling a course. I don't want education. I want people that are actually in the business doing it and find a mentor. So my mentors weren't a real person. Initially, it was books, podcasts, research and reading. And then once I actually started getting into the business, a mentor actually found me. And we've done some deals together and we've, we've worked together and I get a lot of value from him and he gives me a lot of value too. So it's an exchange of value. That's how you find a mentor. A mentor is an exchange of value. You don't just get someone saying, I'll show you the ropes. Right. Well, so how did that how did that come about? What did that look like? I I've, okay. I've been in I've been in <laughs> I've been in cloud cloud computing and cloud services. I still haven't had someone reach out to me to be a mentor. So that's that's kind of interesting. We should we should click on that and see see what that kind of looked like and and how you were able to then take that initial reach out from that person and like create a relationship out of that and how that's helped you too because that would be right. interesting I think to the other listeners out there. So yeah, so two years, two years about of research, podcasts, videos, everything, all of the above. And then I dialed in on two or three people that I really liked. Don't listen to everyone. Pick two or three that you really like, otherwise you get too scrambled. Yeah. What? How can you follow all that content? You got you to gotta yeah. find the content that you like and that speaks to you. And everyone has different techniques, different sales, different marketing. You know, you really need to narrow in on, on what your primary focus is. Um but yeah, two years. Um, whilst I was learning throughout that two years, I had an energy brokerage where we'd do commercial electricity and natural gas contracts and we'd sell those contracts. And then we had 
uh, like government and local backed rebates where we could give equipment out to these facilities too. So for example, we're talking manufacturing school districts, sure. um, the such, so commercial. Um, did well there, built that business with a partner, ultimately exited and sold that business to him, knowing that I want to get into real estate full time. I'd done okay. the research for two years. I dived in. And the one thing, the piece that I was missing was I went on market right away. Sure. Which I fell into like the hottest market ever, which was, you know, we're talking three, three and a half years ago. And yeah, right, I right I before the thing they call the pandemic, right? Right. So <laughs> I'm diving in in the hottest market there's ever been. I've done two years of research, but it's kind of analysis paralysis. Where do I go with this? So I start just taking action. I start going on market, making offers, speaking to agents, realtors, all, all everything. So I'm going through the MLS every single day, and it's a grind. Activity. The problem is nothing pencils out on market. Right. You got people. I'm looking for. So I had this cash influx from the sale, and I yep. went buy rental real estate. I'm a buy and hold guy, so I have done a couple flips and wholesales, but I want to own real estate. Right. There's so right. many benefits to it. So I was in a fortunate position to have that financial backing out the gate. And I was comfortable knowing that, okay, I've got a lot of runway to start finding right. deals and figuring it out, even though I'd already done two years of self-education. Sure. So start making up. There's, there's kind of a nugget in there, right? So you were already working in a business as an owner, co-founder of another business while you were learning real estate. You yeah. didn't just go for broke, start from zero. You had, you basically, yeah. you had your own investment. You had, you invested in yourself, you educated yourself while you were working and then got into real estate. You know, I know, and I've seen it and man, I've even fallen into the own trap <clears throat> when I was younger and I'm not old, but when I was even younger than I am currently, like get rich quick, right? And real estate seems like a sexy thing where you can do that. Well, it's also an area you can lose a lot of money really quick if you do things, you know, um, against the grain and quickly, and you can get caught with some gotchas on that stuff. So it's really about education and knowing folks. But like you said, you kind of had your own safety net with the investment money that you had from the disposition of your business, but also the two years of education that you educated yourself. So yeah. there's a nuance there to like, I just got into real estate and I'm doing this. It's like, no, I actually, I had started a business and operated a business, built up some capital and was educating myself at the same time. So I'll give you a story. It took me eight months to lock, to lock in my first deal, which is sure. just, just get it in contract. So two years and then eight, eight months, months of luck, plus eight months. So almost just, three years, almost oh, three years till you just, did your first deal. Didn't know this isn't even doing it. I got a story okay. for you. This, this gotcha. is the first. This is the first deal that I had in contract. Gotcha. So I was going through the MLS, looking on market, making offers, nothing, making offers, nothing, making offers, nothing. Shouldn't have been doing that anyway because if I penciled it out properly the way they're under right now, they probably wouldn't have even cash flowed anyway. And we're looking for positive cash flow. Sure. Right? So yeah. I ended. I ended up. I remember this. I was shaken. I was <laughs> afraid. You know yeah. So I make, and you know, it's, you know, it was four duplexes. So it was eight units and I'm dealing with the broker. I was actually, I was on Long Island and then I was golfing. I was going back and forth all the time, trying to justify like my price. Anyway, for whatever reason, um, 
I think the agent really liked me because he, he accepted my offer, knowing my background. He knew I had the financials. Obviously, I have to prove all that, start going through the financing process. So anyway, I remember where I was sat. I was sat uh, at a family house on Long Island, and I get, sure. the, I get the email, you know, offer accepted, you know, contract through. And I'm like- Ecstatic. Ecstatic. Yeah, through the roof. I think it was seven hundred thousand for four duplexes side by side. Um, yeah. What I didn't know then, I didn't even know, you know, well water versus you know septic versus city water for sure. These were yeah. in Florida, and these were in Florida. So it's like I'm, you know, northeast, but I want to buy in Florida. I want to buy in red states, and we can get into that landlord tenant laws and things like that. But and you wanted to be in those areas, so got the offer accepted. I'm like shit what's next so this is this so this is the thing this is the key just take little steps just one step one foot in front of the other so made a shit ton of offers got this one accepted i was looking for small multis and now i'm like what next yeah so i'm like okay i need to get i need to get an inspection so call around again this is this is the the grind of real estate so i have to call around most inspectors are two three four weeks out my due diligence period is 14 days. Right. So I had to fight to get a good inspector. Luckily, built a relationship again. For whatever reason, the inspector must have liked me, squeezed me in. It's sure. a good inspection for him. It's four billion. Plus, the, yeah, yeah, the inspector likes to make a little bit of money. I mean, he's right. going to say no to more cash. I mean, it's a good inspection for him because it's four buildings on yeah. two lots. So yeah. it was two big lots and it had two duplexes on each lot, side by side, um, like rancher style. Yeah. Probably yeah. built probably built in like the sixties, maybe seventies around. No there. lead paint issues. So I'd have to check the report. I'd have to yeah. check the report. Yeah. I remember. But this this was a while ago now. Sure. So anyway, I'm like, what's next? So I got the inspection. Now I'm like, well, I want to be there for the inspection. So now I gotta get a flight. So out of Florida. So I fly down to Florida, get there. I brought coffees and donuts for my inspector you know looking after my people i look after them yeah. they they would hopefully look after me do a little bit extra in the inspection sure get there and i highly highly recommend trying to avoid this situation <laughs> at all costs <laughs> the listing agents there and the owner is sat there in like a deck chair belly out big guy old guy and they try to derail the inspection at sure. every step. So what I tried to do, but I wasn't forceful enough at that time, was to make sure all the units are available for us to take a look at. It's eight units. Yeah. We're, on, we're only able to look at five or six of them. Yeah. So you best yeah. believe the two that I didn't see down the line, I was like, I need pictures, I need some evidence, I need something. You best believe down the line, close to closing, those two are absolutely destroyed. Of course. On top of that, yeah, of course. And obviously they're derailing everything. They're trying to, you know, following the inspector around. He's he they got at it. The agent, the owner, and the inspector got at it. The inspector was like, F this, I want to get out of here. So he didn't get his full inspection done. Yeah, which is the point. And that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. They were playing so, games. So I'm going now, now I'm going through this and I'm trying to renegotiate. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I want to be at this price or whatever. And they're like, let's see what the appraisal comes in. The appraisal comes in a hundred thousand under my my price. So I was so now at, what? I was at seven hundred. The appraisal comes in at six. 
So what I negotiated with them, I, I'll stick to the seven because it does pencil out. This deal did pencil out. I'll stick to the seven, but I'll get financing on the one lot and you sell a finance me the second lot. Okay, and what, interesting. Why? Why that way? Just because um, otherwise I'd have to bring the cash to the table, the difference between the appraisal and the, 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 uh, uh, um, sure. the sales price. So, so you're making up that difference by financing the one and allowing them to sell or finance the other, which allowed you to yeah. get away and not have to come out of pocket for that 100K. Yeah. So the way it would look, the one, they both appraised for about the same. So yep. I was like, okay, I'll get financing on this one and I'll make up the difference by seller financing this entire package here, these two duplexes. Yep. So it worked out I like something like, you know, this was 300 for these two duplexes and then seller yep. finance 400 for these right. two. Got it. So this was just me thinking it through and trying to figure it out and came up with some sort of creative financing. This is where it's like the... Um, uh, I, I don't know what the word is like the best of a bad situation right when I was at the location because I was able to speak with the owner directly and I built a relationship with him he loved classic cars and I was just yeah. shoot, shooting the shit with him <clears throat> I realized at that point why am I dealing with an agent I can be so personable with an owner I felt like I could have seller financed this entire package at much less than 700,000. Right. So I was like, less. that was, it didn't, the, the, the light didn't switch on fully there, but I knew, yeah. okay, there's something to dealing with owners directly. Right. So Actually, I know I can do this. That's one of a few lessons I think you learned in that yeah. <laughs> short little plane ride to Florida. So anyway, what happened was I got all the way down the line. Right. And it, that pressure on me to close and after getting those pictures and seeing everything, you know, I'm giving myself a gut check. I'm calling all the people that I know that aren't in real estate. Right. You know, my family in England are in real estate, but they're flippers and yeah. they build. So yeah. it's not really the same. It's not apples to a little apples. Different. Yeah. It's different. And and then family that are in commercial industrial real estate. So a little bit sure. different there. Yeah. And it and it's in the northeast. They're in the northeast, not in Florida. It's a different area that northeast <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> so gut check. Give myself a gut check. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm fortunate that it didn't appraise because I'm past my uh, inspection period. Yeah. But I was able to back out on the appraisal contingency. Gotcha. So, so you ended up backing out of this deal. Yeah. Gut check came in. You're thinking about it. What's that kind of mental thought process? And you're yeah. excited, one, to get the deal, right? So like you're going yeah. through this roller coaster and trying to do the right thing. Be smart, right? Like you said. <laughs> eight months to find this deal, yeah. negotiating for this deal, getting it at the price point you want, get the inspection set up, fly down to Florida. The owner's got his gut hanging out, chasing your inspector around. Um, it doesn't appraise. You think about going through seller financing. So you're excited and now you're fighting for it. You're fighting for it. You're fighting for it. How do you walk away? How do you walk away yeah. beyond, like how do you get past the so, emotions so, and the dedication? Yeah. So I already have, like three three and a half grand into this yeah because the inspection yeah. the inspection was about 2400 because it was four buildings my flights my accommodation my rental car food everything so i'm like i'm walking away from 3500 bucks just on expenses right. i right. also have 
I think I had six to 10 grand in earnest money locked up. Didn't think I was going to get it back. You know what? They probably could have kept it and fought it because I, the appraisal contingency, uh, I think I was after it, but they were like, why do we want to tie this up? We want to get this thing sold. Right. So I was pretty fortunate that I got that back. In my head, once I backed out, I was like, okay, I'm 10 grand down. Okay, fine. I can live with that. So, and that's without even buying a property. That's just- right. Right. I would have been happy losing that 10 grand for what I learned there. Yeah. Well, got I mean, that back. I'm 3,500 out. And I, it would have been a good deal. You know what? I, I would have structured it differently knowing what I know now. But what I learned there was, you know, I can deal with owners directly. Why am I dealing with agents? I feel like I could get a much better deal dealing with the owner. The second thing is going through the inspection and actually seeing and getting quotes because a lot of inspectors they won't or they're not allowed to give you quotes repair quotes sure so i had to go out and get different repair quotes etc cetera, etc cetera. learned about septic learned about wells yeah. learned about roofs to florida baby <laughs> learned about roofs learned about um you know raw everything so yeah. that's why i wanted to be there because i followed the inspector around and was asking him everything and cockroaches don't forget the cockroaches roaches termites all of that we did all of it um but yeah so learned that learned that maybe i can get really creative in my financing i sure. could have potentially came out very little out of pocket but owned this seven hundred thousand dollar asset yeah it's still cash flows so i'm like yeah. huh i probably could have gotten this a lot less money creatively i know i can deal with owners directly I know more about construction already and the inspection process. The other thing is insurance. I learned a lot about the insurance process, getting quotes, four-point inspections in Florida and how expensive it freaking is, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so my numbers progressively got worse, but it's still penciled out. Sure. But I would say one of the main things is knowing when you can back out and taking action to back out when you should or if you should and try not to lose your earnest money. I got pretty fortunate on that one. Yeah. But going through those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, well, and so like, I can relate this man when the markets were going crazy in COVID, you know, you had all of these, um, you know, remote workers at home wanting to trade, right? And trading options and, and doing crazy things and making all this money thinking they know what they're doing. Do you know what they and say really quick? Do you know what they say about that? What do they say about it's that? It's the 90-90-90 rule. 90% of retail traders lose 90% of the money in 90 days. That's right. But go and on. I was in financial services. I worked at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. So I did it for a living for a little bit as a certified financial planner. Um, so, I mean, I was already doing options and stuff before it became sexy with just the retail traders of the world and, you know, the, the, the GameStop plays of the world. Yeah. But anyways, I had, this is all coming back in a long story to know your numbers. And what I mean by that is I had, I had two option plays on Apple and Tesla before they split during the pandemic. I was up 50,000 on my Tesla play and I was up 40,000 on my Apple play before the split called it right i mean everything was great you you trade the trade the rumor sell the news and um news came out of the verification of the split and they split just a short time later um, i mean you can go back and check this 
But anyways, I was up 90 grand and I ended up breaking even on both of them because I thought this is going to keep going. But my numbers that I had, and I look back, I still kick. There's a one, one regret where I just didn't stick to my numbers. I didn't stick to my gut. I didn't stick to my numbers. And that's, that's what you were able to do. You're like, okay, gut check. This were the numbers. It's still cash flows, but there's something wrong about this deal. And like, it's telling me to get out, get out. Where I wrote it, I wrote it all the way back down. I invested 10 grand in those positions. I made money, but I actually didn't make anything because it came right back down to the 10,000 that I started with. So I broke out and got even. I didn't lose, but I mean, it's again, a lesson in know your numbers, know when you can get out and get out. Like if you hit that number, get out. So this, this is, this is where, um, one sec. All right. So no, so know your numbers, get out, get out when you can get out when it doesn't make sense and don't be afraid to do it. Right. Let those emotions go. Got to be like a goldfish, 10 second memory or a duck, let it roll off your back, move on to the next. Cause right. There's always more deals. It's not like there's only one deal in a lifetime. Yeah, I, I saw that on Ted Lasso as well, the goldfish. But yes. what that reminds me of is I was listening to Sam Zell. And if you don't know who Sam Zell is, he's one of the biggest real estate investors globally. Big, big, big time. And he started. So what do you mean? What do you mean by biggest? What's what kind of real estate? I'm sure you're gonna get into it, but he owns all sorts and he's in and out of positions now. But um he started off in small multis. So he started okay. off in high school or college, he was managing units and decided to acquire units. He was an attorney. The, no attorney would hire him knowing because on his resume, all he put on his resume was all the deals he'd done. So when he was getting rejected, he finally asked someone why. And they said, because you're not going to be here long. Because ah. they are, they already knew he was going to, you know, be a big he fish. He was going to make it. He was going to be a big yeah. fish in the real estate world. So anyway, throughout his process, and he started small and now he's, you know, he, I mean, he's owned thousands, if not tens, tens of thousands of units, commercial, industrial, multifamily, lot. And he actually exited his his office based position before COVID, so he's like a magician. But Perfect. He Fourth said. Bet. He said, and this will stick with me. No, uh, try and define the one thing in a deal that's going to kill the deal for you. Put a number to it, and if that number is more than you can bear, if it happens, back out. If you can take that pain and it still be a decent or a good deal do the deal so right an example what you got an example for that example it could be you know four units uh eight units eight acs three of them have a year left that's potentially a 15 grand rehab demographics in the area is the area getting progressively worse is it getting progressively better sure could be construction what construction is going around if there's cranes in the air beware that's what they say because there's going to be an oversupply so uh-huh. is there is there going is there going to be an oversupply of units and is that going to compress your rent are those units going to be nicer if there's so, cranes so. in the air beware i don't think i heard that until now yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting gosh i moved from minneapolis minnesota the minneapolis area uh, twin cities of minnesota down to florida cranes everywhere i mean apartment buildings townhomes going up like crazy um right before the pandemic and i would say probably only 50 percent of those like last time i checked are actually rented out a lot of them are just sitting there yeah yeah and here's a nugget here's a nugget so much building 
It was it's, unbelievable. Yeah, his and Nugget as well. And this is Sam Zell's principle, which I think I have a similar principle, not comparing myself to him in any way. Right. Know, massive. But, but then Sam's out. We heard it here. We heard it here. <laughs> similar, similar thought, though. It's a thought process is someone asked him, what was your best ever deal? Where was it? And he said something like Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Bumble F, you know, Ohio. And they're like, what? And he was like, I go to areas where other people aren't, and I buy in those areas. Obviously, he does his due diligence. He's not buying in complete war zones. But if you can buy in areas where there's a lot less competition and you can see a competitive edge there, that's where you should buy. You know, well, I'm, not talk, I'm not talking New York City. I'm not right. talking anywhere in New York, California, anywhere right. in California, honestly. It's too much you competition. Know, too much competition. Prices are so high. Yeah. So can, yeah. You can you find these secondary tertiary markets is what I look for. And yeah. I look for, are they, is there a hedge fund that's buying massively within an hour? Within an hour. Yeah. Yeah, hedge hedge funds buying. That's a whole nother. I mean, we could do we could do a whole nother session on hedge fund hedge fund buying of, of um, residential real estate. It's crazy. Um, but that goes into like even what you and I say, um, and the age old age old adage of, you know, find the white space, right? It's an old marketing term. Find the white space. Like where is someone not? Mm-hmm. Where's that area? You know, or I think you even said, and this might have come from a book, find the blue. Like what's what's the blue, right? The blue Something ocean. Wrong. Blue yeah, ocean. the blue ocean. So, um, okay, wrapping this in, in into a bow and moving on back to you because we got away from you a little bit. Um, so you, eight months, you found the first deal, you backed out of the deal just because things went awry. What did the next 12 to 18 months look for you then on, on the journey and, and where you are, where are you now? So the two key things were I can deal with owners directly and I can structure creative financing deals. Yes. I, did, I didn't even learn that the seller financing just came from, you know, a negotiation between me and the broker and trying to get creative about an appraisal. Yeah. So it just came up naturally. Yeah. I think I said to him, you know, would, would the owner be willing to do an appraisal? Like, I'll buy, what if I just buy one side? Would he be willing to do that? He said, no. I said, well, how would I go about buying the other side? Would he, you know, could I do like a payment plan to him or something sure. like that? Yeah, and that's how the conversation started, and we almost, we almost, I, I, it was close to closing on it. What I found out, just to tie that in a bow, like you said, someone came in with a full cash offer, probably private equity, full cash offer for eight hundred thousand the week after I'd backed out. So Perfect I was in at se- I, I was in at seven hundred. They actually got a cash offer at eight hundred the following week. Yeah, yeah, and it appraised for six. It appraised for six, but they're they're all cash. They're renovating it. They're ever yeah. gonna back in and refinance into it somehow or I don't know I, I think that's overpaying but that's that's what they sold for um, and there's a bunch of different ways to do a creative deal right but the sexy one we hear nowadays is sub two and I think you got some more of those in your repertoire yeah. that you might be going in here in the next what your next 12 to 18 months look like yeah subject two is my favorite um so, yeah, well, so, I think it's I think it's Pace Morby's favorite too. I see a lot of things popping up on my TikTok about him saying that kind of stuff too with Grant Cardone. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a buzzword it's, right now. It's, but it's, we were doing it before it was a buzzword. It's kind of like the next wholesaling type yeah. of thing, the way it's coming mainstream. And the thing, the difference between wholesaling and subject two is subject two, there's a lot more on the line, it's a lot more risky. 
you got to be a lot more ethical. You got to know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Wholesaling is kind of low risk. You know, you get in a contract that's assignable, you have equitable interest. And in these contracts, you can basically back out for anything at any time. You've got sure. little to no earnest money in. Yeah. You're not even planning on closing on the property. Right. So, you know, that, that's a little bit different. Regulation is coming. It already is here for that. Um, but the two things, circle back, two things. Knowing that I can deal with owners directly to knowing that I can structure creative financing type of transactions. So I was like, screw going on market. I want to research and learn everything I can do to go off market. Right. Now we're in a totally different business. Now it's a marketing and sales business. So I was like, you know what? If I want the best possible deals, I've got to go out and find them myself. So I figured out, did a lot of research, marketing strategies. How do realtors get listings? How do flip? How do flippers find the flipper? How does this HGTV person that looks all sexy on TV? What's right. the what's the nitty gritty stuff that they got to find that deal? I was like, if I can find a way, marketing strategy, to find the best deals, if I can find deals like a wholesaler does then me taking them down, I have minimized my risk massively. Yeah, 100%. And, I, and the thing with the creative financing side is pretty much anything's negotiable. Yeah. So my mind just like exploded. I was like, what? You can do this, you can do that. You can pretty much negotiate anything into this deal. Because most people think 20% down or FHA three and a half, you go in right. conventional, you go in VA, whatever it is. And that's the only way in. That's what no, they no, tell no. us. That's your only no, way no. in. There's so many ways within seller financing and within subject to, and even um, DSCR financing, which is debt service coverage ratio, investor loans, where you don't need tax returns or anything like that. They don't want your blood. Right. Um, <laughs> there's a, and hard money lenders. There's, you know, it just opens up the world. And now you actually get to see behind the curtain, yeah. which most people don't get behind the curtain and see what's really going on. No, they just talk to the mortgage brokers and the realtors of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, mind exploded. So start marketing, figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Again, nervous because it costs now spending on marketing. I'm like, okay, what works, what doesn't work? Probably wasted five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars on marketing, just figuring it out. So I ended up figuring it out, start putting deals together. And now I'm like, okay, I'm dealing with owners directly now. You know, what's my script? What what do I say to them? How do I negotiate the best deal? Where's my contracts? So ended up consulting with an attorney, getting his contracts, creative contracts, not just cash contracts. I had a cash contract, seller financing contract, um, subject to contract, and a lease option. So that, they're the four ways. So I got all the contracts. I'm like, okay, now I know which path to go. So whenever I'm dealing with a lead and I spend on marketing, I can put them in one of these four buckets. And yeah, so, Swiss Army knife. You can put them so, down any path. So when I'm go going to these sellers, I'm not trying to berate them on this is the deal that I need. It's a, right. you know, tell me what's going on. The four pillars, condition, motivation, timeline, price. They're the four things you want to figure out. And then from that, start putting a deal together. So it's like, you know, if they want a super high price i want my terms if they want their terms which is for example they want a quick quick close 
quick, quick and cash, then I need my price. Right. You can't have both. You, you can't have both. Right. So I've done cash deals where I buy discounted and do the quote unquote Burr method or a wedge deal, whatever you want to call it. Done that, done subject to. Been in seller financing, didn't love what was going on. It's a different conversation. It's seller financing is pretty tricky. The difference between those two is subject to you're dealing with someone that's distressed. They might have low to no equity and they need to get out fast. Seller financing is it's usually a free and clear property. They don't really have any real motivation. It's more about tax implications and making it right. you know hassle-free for them. Sure. Usually, usually paying maybe 10% above market. So two different types of conversations. What I liked is dealing with the motivation. If there's motivation there, when I'm doing the marketing and talking to them, I know I can put a deal together. So yeah, go off market as quickly as you can, figure out your marketing strategies and two, one step in front of the other and just, uh, right. just, just, just give it a go. Honestly, just give it a go. Right. It's learning. So, I mean, not only did you learn residential real estate, right. And you learn the back end framework of inspections and appraisals and financing and terms and stuff like that. But then learning how to market to find those deals and, you know, where's your spend most effective and you can do marketing a hundred different ways. You can cut it a hundred different ways, but you can so we just got interrupted there a little bit. That's my fault. But Nick, you're just touching on marketing channels. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it, right? Finding a white space. And before we get into the marketing channels, I think it'd be good just to talk about one of the deals that you have done. You know, one that you, we talked about one that you backed out of. But, um, you know, however you want to do it. Maybe we talk about the marketing channels and how you got that deal. One of them that you liked, uh, uh, one of the good deals. Yeah. Or, you know, however you want to spitball it, let's do it. Let's do it. I got two. I got two to share with you. Okay. So both in North Carolina, different areas in North Carolina. One of them was marketing channel, was texting, and a cold call. So okay, multiple of the two. So I'm texting, I'm cold calling. That's my two primary uh, uh, avenues there. Just tested RBMs, I've tested all sorts of things, email, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Most effective to me was texting and cold calling. Texting's kind of dead now. You know, Twilio's making you register 10 DLC numbers and shit. So texting's yep. tough. So texting and cold calling. Um, contact the owner. Go through my spiel. And this takes multiple conversations. I'll run through it quickly. But sure. looking for condition, timeline, motivation, price. On a cold call, condition, timeline, motivation, price. That's what I'm looking for. To supersede that, rapport. I'm trying to create a relationship especially in a creative financing transaction. So I'm trying to learn about them, what's going on with them. They're obviously in a situation that's tough if they're even considering some sort of creative financing. Right. right. So understanding, empathetic of their situation, condition, timeline, motivation, price. Get down to that, you know, put together the offer. It's subject to. The house was built in like the 1940s. So, you know, like that wartime. Ooh, that's old. That's older. It's old. It's old. And my criteria I bought a few deals before this. My criteria was 1990s and younger. So how this even got on my radar, I don't know. But I'm going with it. I'm running down it. I'm thinking maybe I flip it, maybe I wholesale it. Whatever. We'll see. Anyway, he had rebuilt all the major systems in 2008. 
And then he probably got hit in 2008 a little bit. Managed to hold on to it, but basically new electrical, new plumbing, new everything. It was basically a 2008 build at that point in time. It was easy, right? I mean, he was able to probably refinance, pull money out, rebuild all those systems with an with a attractive interest rate at that point in time, but things went sideways. So it's a it's a VA variable interest rate. When I bought it, the rate variable was at like two point one percent. Yeah, it's, it's been adjusting. It, it, VA, you got to look in. This is another nugget when you're doing subject two. This is a subject two transaction. I'm taking over their debt. I'm not responsible. I'm technically, I'm responsible for making those payments. But if push comes to shove, it remains on their credit report. They're liable for their debt. And they know this. So I'm yeah. fully ethical. I'm telling them as it remains on your credit report, I'm going to make the payments moving forward. Um, and I'm going to give you cash at closing. Right. So I negotiated uh, uh, $7,000 cash at closing. The loan balance was, and I always get a mortgage statement. Make sure there's no behind payments, whatever. Loan balances was at like eighty-two thousand or something. So I'm buying this yeah. at at total eighty-nine thousand. Eighty-two loan. I'm taking over, so I have to bring that to the table. This is the power of subject to seven thousand dollar cash at closing. I own it. It's rent ready. Throw a renter in there. It was like eleven fifty. Eleven fifty rent. Positive cash flow. Payments like at that point in time, it was like four hundred bucks. Now it's like yeah. five hundred bucks. Now it's like five hundred bucks. But rents have also gone up with that as well. Right. So $7,000 all in, other than closing costs, which cost me about $1,500. So we're talking $8,500 all in. Had to replace a water heater, which was, I got that done for 1000 bucks. Or yeah. It might have been $1,000 or $1,200, bucks, something like that. So what we're saying seven, $8,500, let's say $9,500. Let's make it round at ten grand. Yeah. I'm getting rent at 11.50. I decided to manage it myself because it's, you know, it's really not that difficult to manage your own property when everything's new. Right. Um, so my payment, let's say for round numbers 500, I'm bringing in 650 bucks a month. What's that over the year? What's that like eight to $9,000 yeah. year one? Yeah, right around that. What, what did I pay to buy it all in? 8,500. I spent 10,000. I spent about 10,000. 10,000. 10, bought it for 10,000. I've already positive cash flow 8,500 in year one. What's that on a cash on cash? 85% cash return. So within the second year, I'm already cash flow positive. I already returned all my cash that I put into it. Yeah. Love deals like that. Uh, how do you find more of them? Yeah. How do you find more of them? But that's not the full picture because obviously you're getting the principal pay down on a low interest rate. Right. And you want to know what it's worth going in. If you can do a subject to with equity, you're a ninja. So this, so I think, what did I say? The loan was at 82. I give him seven. Let's just make it round numbers, you know, 90,000. It was worth, today it's worth upwards of 175. At the time it was worth about 140, about 140. So it's like, you know, I'm spending 10. But the loan's at 82. I know it's worth 140. That's 40, 50. That's almost $60,000 of equity for 10 grand. So 600% return on equity, like getting into the deal. Getting into the deal, 600% return. And then cash on cash returning my money in less than two years. Now you're going to think, well, why the hell would anybody ever do that? Right. Right. It's the question you always get. 
someone somewhere is always in some sort of financial trouble they need cash quickly they want an easy process they don't care for the money they just want it to be simple easy and hassle free yeah. I, I close quickly with the cash the differential in like 14 days yeah cheers so what it takes is a lot of cold calls volume yeah. volume volume hundreds a day if you can yourself yeah. or, or you outsource it same with texting thousands a day of texting which is tricky yeah. now because of tcpa and all the above but it takes volume to find those deals. So, you know, eight months looking on market to buy a tragic deal or spending, I should factor in a marketing spend in there too, but yeah. you know, apples to apples, it's still negligible. But, you know, you should be paying for your marketing to find these deals for then you to put them together. So how do you, uh, if you're doing that and you know, you can, on, you can only do so many things in a day. So how do you scale that? What's your scaling mechanism? Like, how do you do more deals? How do you find more deals? Like, what what can someone do? How are you able to kind of solve that? Because I got to assume that you're not making cold calls every single day now that you've got some deals under your belt and you got other businesses going. So how do you find deals and how do you scale up? You got to outsource it. You have to. You absolutely cannot spend the rest of your life making 100 to 150 cold calls per day. You have to outsource that. That's it. You know, if someone good, $12 an hour, $12 an hour task. Have someone do that. Make sure they're properly trained. Make sure they're properly managed. Make sure they're doing the job. They're not making fake calls. Volume, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of calls a day, every day. Get those appointments set. Then you'll have three to five appointments a day. From that, where you can just do your sales pitch and put together a deal. 90% of those deals aren't going to work. So it has yeah. to be volume. Yeah. It has to be. Interesting. So how, what is that vetting process? Like how long did it take you to find someone that you liked, that you trusted from a cold calling perspective? Or like, what did that appointment setup look like? Like kind of how did that flow work? And like, how were you able to vet that process and how long? So three things, what does that process look like? So that's like the back end of it, but how long did it take you to find and vet that person? And then how long did it take to like get ingrained with them? So you guys were on the same page. It's a really good question. Cause this again is another business within a business. This is your right. marketing business within your real estate business. So you got to find what works and essentially you're building that business for the functionality of buying real estate or right. selling real estate, whatever it is. So it's tough. You can go, I wouldn't go American based. I'll do it yourself. But you start looking at places like the Philippines, Venezuela, Egypt, India. And obviously, you've got to factor in time differences, managing systems, process, dialers, language, making, barrier. language barrier, making sure they know the pitch. Are they trained on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What does that cost you? Are you going to fire quickly? Are you going to hire quickly? When do you fire? When do you hire? What's your spend? It's a business within a business. Yeah. And I don't think people, I don't think that they don't know it, but it's like hard to see that. Like if you invest in that part of your business, you're investing in the business as a whole. Like it is a scale. It is your one scaling mechanism. Like it is once, one can set you apart. Once you've outsourced that, the amount of weight you alleviate off your shoulders is massive. Once you I find can't. something that time you save so many hours of the day, you continually scale in. You can ramp it up, you can ramp it down. 
but you're not doing those menial tasks every single day where you're getting burned out and you think this sucks. Yeah, you, you've just got a really high paying job at that point in time. Right, right, right. And that's what we're not, that's, that's not, we don't want a job. No. We want to own something, we want to be owners, right? So what do those next steps look like? Like, okay, you find a team. So like, let's, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. If you, as an investor or as an agent, we're making two to 300 cold calls per day, every single day with the yeah. same pitch to new lists. And we can talk about how to get lists and stuff as well. Cause you need to get owners data to be able to contact them. But if you had the data and you're making 200, 300 calls a day, every single day, how many more listings would you get? How many more flips would you get? How many more deals would you get? You'd hundred percent get more. But then how do you assign, once you get a listing, how do you assign your time to facilitate the listing? and find right. buyers and sell them how do you when you flip in get your contractors project manage sell it etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. so you kind of sacrifice one side of the business for the other so i would recommend doing it yourself first but outsource as quickly as possible so talk about that a little bit talk about the outsourcing and how that how you've been able to actually do that yeah i mean through this trials and tribulations and finding out what the best countries are to outsource most cost effective with the highest quality you could hire someone at three four dollars an hour at the philippines but they're crappy you're going to go through 20 of them and you're going to get burned out and you're going to quit or you could go somewhere that's more reasonably priced you're looking for that balance right yeah so there are companies out there there's one that we're involved in it's called caddy group caddy group real estate right they'd make two to three hundred calls a day every single day professionally trained and managed on the pitch whether you're an investor looking for cash deals creative deals or if you're an agent looking for listings they'll get everything i'm explaining condition timeline motivation price and they'll set an appointment for you to then go and win that deal yeah so, based on the training and the education that you got in the school of hard knocks doing those pitches putting in that time and transferring that knowledge to a team that could pick it up it was built out of necessity for, you, for right. yourself. So, you know, you just got to look at the cost and the benefit. What's the ROI? You know, yeah. if you can continually get a two, three X ROI, which is what we're seeing, two, three plus some, some months, it's way more than that. If you're getting that and you stay the cost, here's the thing. Here's, here's the big thing. Here's the kicker with marketing. It takes time. Yeah. It doesn't take one month. Sometimes it can, sometimes it's perfect time and it happens in one month and you get that list in and now yeah. you, you got your ROI. It can take three months. It can take four yeah. months, five months, six months. But does it work? Right. If you like that circle back, if you were making these calls every single day, would you get success? Yes, you would. This is all right. that these guys do all day, every day. This is it specialized right. in this. And that's right. what they're doing. So if you can oh. factor in what, your commission is or what the flip the out sale would be compared to what you're paying for this constant stream of deals. I would say the biggest fail point here is not getting the listing or getting the flip. The biggest fail point is dealing with the volume where, okay, now I've got to facilitate these. Right. Well, and now you have a plug and play top of the funnel mechanism, right? Where you've removed yourself from the top of that funnel. You got and the to. deal flow is coming in. You have to, because you don't have the time. You got to focus on the higher dollar items down at the bottom part of the funnel. 
um, which is hard to do. It's hard to remove yourself because you can get stuck in a trap. I've been stuck in the trap. I mean, working in corporate America, like activity for the sake of activity, just to feel like you're doing something, yeah. but it's not moving the needle. So like you said, it's built out of necessity and it just alleviates, it took, it took all the time away, right? It just allowed you to scale. You went from doing, I mean, what, let's just talk about the business metrics a little bit. So you went from what to what? Did first year. Like where could you spend your time? First year, you did this many deals. Now you're doing this many deals. Like where's your time spent now? First year was a deal a month. Yeah. So and it didn't work out where it was exactly a deal a month. Just over the 12 months, it was 12 deals. It was eight rentals and four flips. Sure. So six of those uh, subject twos. One was a burr. And the other one was just I put 20% down. Like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't care what the, as long as it works and it pencils out, like right. I'll make it work. The, the reason I did the 20% down, which people are probably scoffing at now is I was getting it way undervalued for a rent ready vacant property that was built in 2011 in a great market. Basically now I'm in young house. The cash on cash return on that is like 12%. Yeah, if you, yeah. Apples to apples. You're looking at 80 on, one deal I told you about to 12, 12 pencils yeah. out. 12 is a good cash and cash return. If you're putting 20% down. It is hundred percent. I mean, you tell me, <laughs> you tell me a bank or an investment, I can give you that kind of return on your cash. Yeah. With that, you know, we're not, we're not factoring the principal pay down. Yes, yes, exactly. The IRR and all that fun stuff. But yeah. I would say, keep it dead simple. Even Sam Zell, the guy we touched on before, one of his main metrics is cash and cash return. Yeah. Doesn't it keep it simple? Yeah, keep it simple. No, um, man, I think you, this is good. You, um, I'll give you one more deal. Yeah, I'll give you one more deal because it's a little bit different. So we're looking for cash flow, right? Cash flow is what we're looking for. The primary here's the primary principle of buy and hold real estate investing. I want to be in for as little money as possible and have as much cash flow as possible and as much equity as possible going in. Yeah. So. As little money, major cash flow, major equity. If you can have equity and cash flow and pay next to nothing, I mean, you'd buy all those, wouldn't you? Yeah. But that, yeah. as a principle, that's what we're looking for without being in a war zone, et cetera. Then there's other variables, but they're the financials that we're looking for. So yeah. this is where this deal is a little bit different. So again, it was in that same kind of neighborhood. The houses are built in the 2010s. Uh, it might've been 2008. I don't remember, early early 2000s. So um, I'm underwriting, I'm in the conversation with them, I'm building rapport, um, condition, motivation, timeline, price, et cetera, all that fun stuff. Um, and we're talking about a lease option. I'm really trying to get a lease option now. I hadn't done one, so I was like really pushing for it. Just for the, <laughs> Let's like, get one. Like, yeah. why not? Let's push for a lease option. My mentor, I know it's a good story, but my mentor loves lease options. So I was like, okay. I got his paperwork. I'm like, I really want to do one of these. Yeah. You know, let's get it. But with a lease option, they were going to get no cash up front. It was going to be over time when I closed out my option period and we can get into the details of lease options. They're like, no, we yeah. want some, we want cash now. So I was like, huh, I've actually figured out a new sales process here. I can balance off a lease option against a subject too. The trade-off is lease option, title stays in your name. So you still own it. I just have yeah. equitable interest and an option to close first right of refusal to buy it at that option gotcha. price. 
the subject two is I own it. I have title, but the loan stays in your name. The difference gotcha. is with subject two is I'm going to give you a lot of cash now. Lease option. Lease option, you hold title, no cash. Subject two, I hold title, I give you cash. Gotcha. The motivation that I came, across, came across was um, they had another house they were just moving out of in one of the southern states, I forget, Florida or Georgia, maybe even Tennessee, I don't remember, but they were moving from that house to another house and it was December, so they had to buy this other house and obviously they wanted to get Christmas presents and sure. they had kids. Sure. So... I went in hard because I felt like I was losing the deal from balancing out the lease option and just kind of, you know, having fun with it. That's what I'd say is don't take it too seriously as well. You're just dealing yeah. with a person. Right. Anyway, I go, loans are 170 and I underwrite it and look at it and I'm like, oh, this is easily worth 275. So I see that there's $100,000 of equity. I'm like, what's the lowest I can pay under $100,000? right that's what i'm looking for right right so anyway i say to them you know i can give you twenty five thousand dollars cash in 14 days and that's right before christmas and you can get all your presents you ever wanted for your kids and whatever you know it might be a little bit cynical to say that but that's what yeah. they want that's what they wanted so i was like this is what you can do with that twenty five thousand dollars you can move into your new house you can have new presents you can have a whole move in christmas whatever Anyway, so we cl we close on that twenty five thousand dollars cash at closing. The loan was at one seventy one seventy, or I think it was exactly at like one seventy seven, right around there. So, yeah, let's let's say I'm all in at two hundred. It's worth two seventy five. So I've traded twenty five thousand dollars for hundred thousand dollars of equity. Right. It's now worth easily three fifty three seventy five now, but at the time they had a tenant in place their loan payment was 1300 bucks. The rent payment was 1300 bucks. They were, they were break even. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm usually buying for cash flow. Now I'm buying the equity, but no cash flow. It's okay. They had six months remaining or uh, nine months remaining on the lease. Yep. The interest rate was, uh, I think three and a half fixed. Oh. and oh, beautiful right so here's, here's a nugget i'm buying the loan technically right i'm buying the yeah. loan. i'm buying the real estate yeah. but I'm, I'm buying the financing so yeah the loan was not only three and a half percent fixed but the loan is already 15 years deep oh jeez. so if you look at an amortization schedule it looks like this yeah. where it goes you know um this is principal and this is interest. So at the front end, I'll do it this way. On the front end of the curve, you're paying high interest and low yep. principal. When you get to the back end here, you're paying high principal, low interest. Right. And I'm already in that midpoint. Yeah. So yeah. I was factored in, okay, if I buy this, I'm getting $600 a month of principal pay down and then it yeah. increases every month. Right. So like, okay. So I'm buying it, but I'm banking 600 a month. Yeah. Now, yeah. nine, nine months, I look at the rental comps. The rental comps are 2,500 bucks. So I'm like, in nine months, I would have banked 600 bucks a month in principal pay down. I got yep. this fixed interest rate. It's going to be paid off in 15 years. Yep. And then I'll get, you know, what, 700 to 900, 
Oh, is it? They were paying thirteen. Yeah, seven hundred to like thirteen hundred dollars cash flow. Just unicorn deal, but they're out there. They're out there. Yeah, like I, those are the ones that I've looking back now. There's so many deals I should have bought that I didn't buy. Yeah, like the best deal that I could have bought, I probably missed. Yeah, right. But I mean, these are, these are great deals. Um, the ones that are iffy. Yeah, people will still buy them. Like I would yeah. flip them or wholesale them. So sure. That's I mean, that's the power of there's plenty, thing. there's plenty of ways in and there's plenty of ways out of deals. Well, man, we spent a lot of time. We went we went through a lot of stuff. I don't know if we can give any more nuggets <laughs> on one one hour conversation. <laughs> but uh, we hit a lot of things, right? So yeah. we hit like education. You went you you had built a business and spent two years educating yourself on the industry that you were going into. You found yourself a mentor. Actually, the mentor sucked you sucked you out, but you developed that relationship and kept it going. You learned about the different deals that you could do um, inside that industry and how you could structure things and getting creative and finding the white spaces or the big blue ocean. And then you figured out, okay, there's an engine within my business called marketing. And you figured out how do I scale that? How do I right size that so that my business can grow without me necessarily doing more work, actually me doing less work on that side of things and my business still continuing to grow. Like, what more can we give away in one hour? <laughs> Maybe mis biggest mistake. Yeah, there we go. What's the biggest mistake? The biggest mistake I've made, other than passing on deals that I should have bought, biggest mistake. Not outsourcing quick enough. Not outsourcing Just quick enough. Staying, staying in the trenches for too long. It because, doesn't, it, explain why. Explain why that's a mistake. Because you want to control, most people that are getting into business or are business owners, they want to control everything within their business. And then you test and you trial things and you try and outsource. And people are usually the biggest headache in businesses. Yeah. But you've, you've just got to roll through those punches or and build it yourself or outsource yeah. it as long as it's cost effective. So it's and like, I can say something crazy here along with outsourcing, because this is the buzzy thing, you know, this is the chat GPT at the moment, but automate, yeah. outsource and automate that. And now we're not talking machine learning AI. You can use it and it, and it does help, but automating what you're outsourcing, essentially, if I can speak to that a little bit, really understanding what that process is so that you can pass it off so that you can outsource it. So you've automated it because you can give them your process and they can run with it. That's yeah. true outsourcing. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And it's tough. It's tough giving up control and it's tough yeah. spending dollars and not seeing anything instantly, but it and takes scary. time. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I don't know where else we can go, Dom. It's been fun. I finished. I finished my Kona. I had. A, I had another one when we had that technical difficulty. I think I saw you have a cocktail or two. It's. <laughs> it's still happy hour where I'm at. So I'm thinking I might take the old lady and we're gonna go. It's pizza night Fridays for us. So I think we're gonna go grab some pizza with our with our newborn son, six months old, and and go have a little fun. But uh, this was this was a fun hour. So I appreciate Thanks. the time. Good chat. Let's do it sometime, but we'll flip it. We'll flip it around and yeah. we'll, get in, we'll, we'll dig into y'all background. We, we can dig into some software development and really get into some automation.
I don't how things th- can get crazy. I don't know how sexy that is. <laughs> it's not sexy, man, but it works. It works. There we go. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it, man. Take care. All right, bye.